This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. A team of journalists at the University of Oregon spent the past year and a half delving deep into an issue that turned out to be exceptionally timely. What to do with young Oregonians who are convicted of serious crimes as juveniles. Current and former U of O students and a journalism professor at the school produced a documentary and a podcast series that examines Oregon's landmark mandatory minimum sentence law that voters approved decades ago. Since then, Oregon has taken steps to soften the legal blow for young people convicted of Measure 11 crimes, but it was not retroactive. The project is dropping just as Governor Kate Brown is considering what to do with dozens of young people who are serving time for these crimes. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, Ed Madison and Jordan Bentz. Madison is a journalism professor at the University of Oregon. Bentz is a freelance producer who partnered with Madison and the young journalists on the project. We talked about these young people who remain incarcerated, including one of the main characters in the series, Ricky Gators, who was convicted of robbery and assault before he turned 18. We talked about Measure 11 and its history, what victims' advocates have to say about reforms, and much more. Here's our conversation. Ed Madison, Jordan Bentz, thanks for coming on the show and congratulations on the project. Thank you. We're pleased to be here. So take me back to 2020. What was the origin story on this project? How did it come together? Um, I had uh, planned a sabbatical shortly after receiving tenure um, the spring before and um, had thought I would be spending uh, time in South America and, you know, going to places I hadn't been before. Uh, and then uh, COVID hit and I found myself kind of locked in my, in my, my writing space um, and um, witnessing uh, the George Floyd tragedy. And like many Americans, I think asking themselves, you know, you know, what's going on here. And um, so it was in that process that I, um, discovered Oregon Oregon's Measure 11 uh, legislation, and um, and the more we looked into it, the more we said there's an important story here that needs to be told. And when you say we, um, can you describe the team and kind of you know how you went from that that nugget about you know this this important piece of legislation from decades ago that some longtime Oregonians will know or people who've had reason to intersect with it, but how'd you go from that thought to let's do this big project? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm blessed with, uh, really amazing, um, storytellers who, um, have been former students and, and who are also current students. And so Jordan Bentz, who's with us here today, uh, Sutton Raphael, uh, Jasmine Jackson, they're, they're mostly the team of alums and, uh, I don't want to leave any names out here, but, uh, uh, you know, just Sarah Rosa Davies, uh, they, um, 
they uh, we started talking, you know, and they were interested. Um, and I had had, um, you know, just a introduction to Joe O'Leary, who runs the Oregon Youth Authority. And we sent an email and he responded within the same day saying, you know, yes, um, you know, we'll, you know, we will work with you and to help identify, um, you know, some of our um, young uh inmates uh and and you know to look at this issue so that's kind of how it started we started meeting once a week uh via zoom uh as everybody else was living their lives on zoom (laughs) and uh and it came together from that i was gonna say as an aside um and being a former student and frequent collaborator i think it's a pretty ironic ed that uh you know you're busier now on sabbatical (laughs) than maybe i've ever seen you so (laughs) Not yeah, quite I was sure going to say, right. this is, uh, how, how does, how do you fit this into the, into the, the daily rhythm of being a professor? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> well, you, you just do. I mean, I think you'd go where, where you're, you know, where you're, you feel that there's a, a, a need. Um, you know, we, experiential learning is a really um, important piece of um, the ethos at, you know, at the School of Journalism and Communication. Um and so, um, you know, we wanted to be sure to also bring in current students to support this this project as well. Um, and they um, were an important piece of it. Um, now, some 18 months later, um, it's, an, it's an interesting project to take on. You know, I, I, I mean, my, my background is mostly television documentary. And so podcast, the notion of doing a podcast, I mean, we, you know, we knew that there was just no way you could tell this story in 30 minutes, just in 30 minutes, you know? So, uh, we had so much material. We interviewed maybe 20, 20, 20 plus people, um, in the process. Yeah. So maybe that's a good, uh, segue to talk about the project itself. I mean, so there's a podcast series that people will get a chance to, to listen to on this feed and, a a documentary film um that will air on on opb can you just kind of talk about the scope of the project um why should people tune in for those who may not necessarily be up on all the specifics of measure 11 uh you know during the the tough on crime 1990s uh as part of the you know the clinton era um there was a, a a real sense that uh particularly on the part of juvenile uh, in the juvenile justice system, but even on the part of um, victims, uh, victims advocates, that the sentencing was just too soft. Uh, and so Oregon in 1994 put through legislation or Oregon voters uh, voted in favor of Measure 11, which um, basically outlined mandatory minimum sentences for um, about uh, a whole list of of uh, felony offenses, and it included uh, juveniles under that under that legislation. Just a few years ago, um, Senate Bill one zero zero eight, in a sense, repealed Measure Eleven's impact on on juveniles, but it was not mm-hmm. made retroactive. And so, um, there's a list of of young people who um, are still uh, incarcerated, uh, who um, were their crimes to have happened you know, since that legislation would not be impacted the same way that they are now. So this is where it gets really, really interesting because during the process of our producing this project, um, just several months ago, uh, Governor Brown uh, announced her intention to 
uh, basically review those cases uh, of those young people who did not uh, benefit from that reform and to potentially uh, provide early parole or in some some cases um, releasing those individuals on a case-by-case basis. So it's a real newsworthy topic right now in more ways than we couldn't have anticipated. Yeah, that's a, a sign you've picked a, a salient project when there's literally um, news that would affect uh, the characters in the story as as you're as you're producing it. Um, Jordan, can you describe your involvement um, and kind of just what what you made of this? I mean, this is a big thing to take on, especially um, when we're living these uh, strange lives we've we've lived in the last uh, year and a half. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not quite sure if this is the uh, maybe the right analogy, but uh, learning more about Major Eleven, it was a bit of a, a Dunning Kruger type moment for me. Where the the more I learned about it, the more complicated I realized the issue is, and that's you know it's often the case on some of these uh, larger projects we're working on. Um, but it's almost like every interview that we did, uh, you know, led to even more questions than we had before, um, and really trying to capture the full uh, scope. Um, and all the voices involved, that was, um, you know, a challenge along the way to try to represent, you know, as many sides as possible while maintaining objectivity. Um, and for my role, I was you know, really uh, behind the camera a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, setting up the interviews from a filming standpoint. And, uh, yeah, Ed and I were on the road for, oh, goodness, uh, yeah, plenty of, <laughs> let's say plenty of road trips, um, kind of crisscrossing the state uh, and making a lot of these these interviews happen. And yeah, I was uh, working alongside a former student named Matan. I did a lot of the, the filming um, and editing along the way. So you gave a little bit of a, a, of a heads up about how you found some of the characters, but can you de- describe a little bit more of like, how, how did you find these? Um, and when I say characters, obviously these are people, but characters in the, in the project, um, these uh, young, young men, how, how did you find them? Um, well, you know, there's, it's just a, a matter of fact that uh, young men of color are disproportionately affected by these laws, um, not just in Oregon, but across the nation. And so mm-hmm. um, when we uh, made our request to the Oregon Youth Authority, we said we wanted to find um, three young men um, who uh, were, you know, just living at the effect of, of, of these of these laws. Um, they suggested three people. We did an initial sort of Zoom session with them. Um, and it's interesting, you, you go in, um, the first time we went into um, the uh, Rogue Valley Youth Facility down in Southern Oregon, where they both were residing at the time, um, you know, we set up and we talked to each of them, but we didn't really know Hmm, is one going to be stronger? Is this going to be all about all three of these uh, mm-hmm. individuals? And as it turned out, um, the uh, youngest of, of the three, um, Ricky Gators, um, just, uh, you know, I think as people will, will see and hear as they listen to the podcast and watch the documentary, um, just came across in a way that was um, uh, very... Um, relatable you know there's something about his his um you know and his his story that was pretty compelling and he was also very descriptive about what happened during his arrest which is one of the sequences that we we basically um dramatized you know to for the documentary to give people a sense of like what that was like yeah um 
And so that's kind of kind of how we zeroed in on those three people. And then from there, um, you know, it became important to talk to their attorneys and um, other attorneys and criminologists and uh, then prosecutors and then legislators and a whole host of other um, you know, people to kind of weigh in on the topic. How's Oregon, you know, in the country changed since 1994 when, you know, Measure 11 was approved by voters? Uh, you know, I, it's interesting because Portland right now um, is going through, um, a, you know, a, a, an escalation in gun violence. And um, it depends on who you talk to to really give you the answer to that question. Um, if you talk to Joshua Marquis um, or John Foote, who are uh, legendary, uh, retired now prosecutors who are, who are two of the voices in our project, they will tell you that it's somewhat cyclical and they expect, um, that we will return to a, um, a real, uh, tough on crime, um, scenario. Um, certainly the victims, uh, rights, uh, advocates would, would like to see it that way. However, there is a sense that, you know, in terms of legislators and, and the governor, um, that we want, that we move away from that. There's also some, mm-hmm. there are other factors too that we delve into in the podcast in terms of what we now know about, uh, brain development and just the fact that young people, their, you know, their, their brains are, are, um, you know, their frontal cortex are, it's not, it's, it's, it's not the same as being someone who's, you know, fully mature. And so how does that factor into, you know, how they should be prosecuted? Oh, it's interesting. You mentioned the 2019 legislative actions, which really kicked off, um, this discussion here in Oregon. I mean, it's, it's not a partisan issue, right? I mean, either in Oregon or nationally, there's been, you know, president Trump who was both tough on crime, um, but also, you know, had a signature criminal justice reform package. Um, and that is not, um, it's not an issue that is just a Democrat issue or a Republican issue, right? No, definitely not. Uh, and yet, um, you know, I, when you think back of the, the origins of this, um, you know, the, the Clinton administration, the Democrats have always been, I think, uh, sort of um, positioned by conservatives as being soft on crime. And it was it was President Clinton's um, intent to show that he was not. <laughs> uh, and, and he did <laughs> uh, in ways that I think he's kind of come back and said, you know, maybe I pushed it too much on that. Um, you know, he was in, in terms of his, um, his uh, effectiveness as a politician, he, he was very good at co-opting, uh, you know, the uh, conservative uh, sort of talking points and, and, and making them his own. Um, and so that was the result of this. Unfortunately, when you look at the adverse impact on communities and families um, uh, who, um, and this is not to suggest that, that, that people who, who in, engage in crime should not be, you know, should not have consequences. But the mm-hmm. question is, you know, as I say in there, you know, how just is just, you know? <laughs> yeah, Jordan, I'm curious from traveling around, you know, filming families and, and talking to these um young men i mean what during during a pandemic i mean how how did you process all that and i mean what what were your major takeaways as you're putting this all together well i think it's one of those uh really sensitive subjects um and so talking to folks about it as we were making the documentary i realized that um you know just about 
every story had weight, um, if that makes any sense. Uh, you know, for mm-hmm. instance, talking to Renita, who lost her son um, due to, you know, uh, a random act of violence one day. And then, you know, a week or two later, you're meeting with Ricky's mother, um, Shantia, who's, you know, dealing with, um, you know, all the the legal repercussions of what's happening with their son being in the system and then having to drive, you know, seven or eight hours to visit. Uh, I guess it's the realization that, um, you know, all of these stories had a lot of weight. And, you know, meanwhile, there were, um, you know, politicians who had been living it over the, the last few decades. And, um, you know, the, the folks that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, John Foote and Joshua Marquis, um, yeah, I guess it was just that realization that, Every single story um, felt like it kind of deserved, uh, you know, equal time and attention. And so, uh, deciding how to do that um, moving forward, I mean, I, I felt like that was a that was a challenge. Um, and it's one of those things too, where Ed and I have talked about it, and it feels like you know you could, although the documentary that we put together is maybe around half an hour, it feels like you could really mm-hmm. expand on this for the next, um, you know, however many months or years to really uh, kind of do it justice, I guess, if that makes any sense. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk more with Jordan Bentz and Ed Madison. Okay, Ed, so could you talk a little bit about the Journalistic Learning Initiative? Um, Could you explain what it is and what you're trying to accomplish down in Eugene? Sure. Thanks for asking. So the Journalistic Learning Initiative is a nonprofit organization based on based here in Oregon, um, and it's an outgrowth of my dissertation work. Um, you know, I, I personally had the good fortune to um, to have a, a dad who was a, a trailblazing journalist and a mom who was just a really amazing teacher. And so um, it kind of combines, uh, I guess, what's kind of naturally a part of my DNA in terms of looking at at how um, in my research I've discovered that there are journalistic strategies that can benefit students across the curriculum. So not just the you know, the, um, you know, the newspaper or yearbook club that's uh, mm-hmm. underfunded or after school program or something like that. But really what happens when you embed that strategy and that approach um, in English language arts so that every student benefits from it. So um, with uh, help of uh, community partners like Bymart, uh, we've been able to uh, train teachers and uh, roll out a new curriculum that we call effective communicators. We've got 23 teachers in a fellowship program, um, uh, underwritten by Bymart and Oregon Community Credit and, uh, and the Marie Landrum uh, Foundation. Uh, and those um, educators are helping their students, um, both in middle school and high school, uh, to learn to, um, you know, just advocate for their ideas, present more effectively, uh, become stronger researchers, become more discerning of the information that they come across, um, you know, all of those very important skills. And this project is what I really love about it is that you partner with these students and, and recent alums. I mean, this is really a high level journalistic project that, that these students um, and former students get real life experience, right? I mean, that's a fantastic opportunity. Yes, we've, uh, you know, we started uh, at uh, Oakley Middle School in Junction City, uh, just outside of Eugene, which is a a rural community that uh, was hard hit by 
um, just uh, you know cutbacks in um, in timber industry. Uh, we started in 2016, and um, you know two years later uh, we went back and showed those young people video of their younger selves. And uh, of course, you know they were bright-eyed and they're still bright-eyed, but you know now a little older. Uh, collars turned up, little makeup and, you know, mousse in the hair and everything else. Uh, and, uh, and we subsequently now they're, they're now entering sen- their senior year at Junction City High School. And so, um, when we went, every time we've gone back and visited with them, we asked the question, what, if anything, do you remember from the experience? And we're just really, um, blown away by, uh, the fact that, you know, we're seeing lasting impact on that original cohort. So that's kind of informed the growth that we've had in all these other schools. I'd say, um, you know, since 2016, we've now um, positively um, impacted the lives of over 6,000 students, um, both, both here in Oregon and in California, and we're still growing. And on this public plea project to, um, to work with uh, reporters like Bryce Doyle, who, um, worked at the Oregonian and so, uh, and has now jumped to, I think his second gig. I mean, just to, to work with, um, current and former students on a project like public plea, I would imagine that's especially rewarding. Yes. Uh, and Denise Sylphie and Cecilia Brown, uh, just a really array of, of talented young people. Um, and, you know, the thing I've kind of realized is that um, we kind of sometimes have a luxury that I think mainstream media organizations, you know, like the Oregonian or Oregon Public Broadcasting or Lambert Week or whatever it might be, um, don't don't have. And, and that's time. You know, we can take 18 months <laughs> to really uh, look at a topic, you know, where the news cycle dictates that you've got you've got to, you know, be thinking about the next five stories, you know. And so Jordan and I are actually now in New Orleans, as we're speaking to you, um, uh, with uh, five current undergraduate students. And we're looking at um, just issues pertaining to underserved communities of color in in uh, in this in this part of the world. Um post uh, a whole series of hurricanes, but also COVID. And it's, it's a really amazing experience to be here and be a part of that as well. Going back to the Measure 11 piece, I mean, what, you, both of you would be curious your thoughts on this. I mean, what is its impact in, in Oregon, uh, the legacy of Measure 11? Well, there is a move to um, to basically repeal Measure 11 as it affects uh, as it as it impacts a, adults as well. Now, I, I, yet I don't think that that there's been um, enough political will to make that happen, especially given the uh, the surge in crime in Portland um, and all the problems that Portland's been experiencing lately. So we will see, you know, what what that means. Kevin Mannix, who's the architect of the legislation, um, you know, he says uh, other states were doing, you know, three strikes and you're out. And we said, no, the time will be uh, determined by the crime. Uh, and, uh, and there's this whole issue around that whole um, scenario of, of whether or not, um, you know, Joshua Marquis will tell you that Measure 11 is colorblind. And other people look at it and say, well, let's look at the stats, you know. So it's, it's a it's a big topic. <laughs> it's a big topic, and um, certainly not one I would have taken on on my own. I just was really fortunate to have a great team and Jordan as a partner, and um, you know to be able to really 
try to do justice to this. I think um, the thing I'm I'm probably most proud of is that I, you know we I don't think anyone would look or hear this and think that we took any sides. Um, you know, we really um, allowed, and there was some skepticism, I will say, on the part, particularly of you know the prosecutors and some of the victims' rights people who thought, you know, okay, um, are you are we really going to have a chance to air our views? Um, and I, I don't think any of them would would look or listen and and say that you know they weren't uh, treated uh, very fairly. I think it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier um, in terms of scope, where it was like after 10 or 12 interviews, um, you know, you maybe would do an interview with one of those folks and they would say, oh, you know, you got to talk to, um, you know, this person and they would refer us to someone else. And then all of a sudden the scope, it like kept on expanding and expanding. And I think that's like a testament to how complicated the issue actually is. And even after having interviewed, you know, what we say it, it was like 25, maybe 25 people at this point, it still feels like we're, you know, like scratching the surface. And, um, you know, it's like there are probably, you know, dozens more interviews that we could do to really kind of uh, keep shedding light on the issue. Um, and again, it's the probably the, the case that a lot of folks working in journalism experience where um, it's like the more that they start uh, delving into a complicated issue like this, the more they realize that it is just so multifaceted that um, it seems like we're just telling a very very small piece of it. And then from here, you know, hopefully folks would, you know, either listen to the podcast or watch the documentary and then go off and do their, mo- uh, you know, more of their own research um, on the topic, because it is, you know, as we said, it is very dense um, and, and plenty of voices, uh, you know, all that seem to have equal weight. Yeah. And um, just focusing on one of, one of the young men, Ricky, I mean, how, how many, how many Rickies are there out there in Oregon? I want to be accurate, but I, I, I'm, as I recall, I think there's a list of maybe 70, 70, a little over 70 people who potentially are on the governor's list um, for review. What would this mean to Ricky? I mean, if he were set free? Well, you know, um, Ricky said something very interesting. Uh, he actually thanked the judge and thanked the DA um, when he was sentenced, um, not necessarily because he um, thought it was fair, um, and he, there's a lot of intricacies to you know his, his plea deal and and all of that, but because it took him out of a very precarious situation of gang involvement and allowed him to uh, learn a trade. Um, he's going to school. He's now finished high school. He's taking college courses. Um, you know, he's um, had a restart, if you will, and time to um, reflect, but also to mature. And as his mom, Shantia, said is, you know, why can't we have those kinds of programs out here? Why do they have to be inside to be to benefit from the from that type of attention, uh, that type of, of uh, you know, support? Um, and that's the key question, which, you know, hopefully we, we try to address in, in the last episode of the podcast, because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, crime related podcasts and things out there. Um, and we didn't want to be another we didn't want people to be left with sort of a sense of of hopelessness and gloom and doom after listening to this. And so we do, you know, make a, a concerted effort to to just look at possible ways out of this cycle of violence and, and, uh, you know, and incarceration. What else, um, 
should I have asked you guys or where do you think this story goes from here or, or this partnership down in Eugene goes from here? Well, um, I don't know, Jordan, you want to take that? I mean, I, I, yeah, I think we've gotten bitten by the, the, you know, just the, the notion of doing more of these kinds of complex stories and giving students, you know, opportunities to, um, to really, you know, delve more deeply into issues of this nature. Um, and hopefully, um, that, uh, looks like, uh, more partnership with, uh, you know, the Oregonian and, um, you know, OPB and other, um, publications, um, you know, Willamette Week and, you know, just, just projects that we can do that, that will shine a light on some of these, uh, really important issues. I would say too, um, kind of going off of what we were mentioning earlier, um, you know, having discussed, uh, being in New Orleans, um, working with students down here. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I was talking to one of those students and he was, you know, he was like frantically <laughs> putting together an essay for one of his uh, uh, finals and he had a test, you know, 11 or 1130 <laughs> that same night. And uh, that's one of the ironies is oftentimes when we're working with students, um, you know, it's like they're all in on a project uh, and it goes back to that exper- experiential learning piece, um, you know, like being able to say work on a, on a podcast or conduct an interview or, you know, you know, mentioning new Orleans, like going uh, down to the ninth ward and, and doing a couple interviews with folks down there and hearing their stories. Um, I mean, you really see uh, students light up and that's, you know, it's totally true of, of my experience in undergrad. And I'm sure Andrew, you can relate to this too. Um, having Absolutely. been a, having a, obtained a journalism degree yourself, but yeah, there's just really something about, um, you know, like doing the work and, you know, like diving into a story, um, which is to take nothing, of course, uh, away from, you know, classroom learning and, uh, you know, the, the benefits of um, studying and reading and, and writing essays and, and that component, of course. But um, I would say, you know, for, for my piece, um, I really would love to see more projects like this in the future where we're able to, you know, get those students out who, you know, who would maybe say, uh, let's put that test off for a while. Let's go do an interview you know, let's go um, make some stories happen and, and kind of go from there. Um, Cause it really is, I think pretty special to be put in that position. Well, I thank you both for the project and your whole team. And um, I think you, you hit on something that I hadn't even really processed earlier that, you know, it is, it's not just that this is landing at an interesting time during the pandemic and everything like that and the potential for real life action. But then, you know, the, we are, you know, my colleagues and I have been covering this this surge in violence here in Portland, and and it is kind of how how does that change the calculus? And that's another wrinkle that I I think a lot of a lot of people are probably thinking about. Um, and so it's it's really salient and great reporting. Thanks for taking time to talk about it. Thank you so much, um, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with you, Oregonian. I shared a link to the Measure 11 project in the episode notes, so check out the documentary if you're interested. A programming note, we dropped the first episode of the podcast series in our feed, so listen along if you want to know more. We're rolling out the additional four episodes in the next few days, with the final episode airing December 27th. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the program. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. 
You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.